Hello, and welcome to On Staging, a community theater-focused discussion podcast highlighting the development and staging of community theater productions in Calgary and surrounding area. I'm Kyle Gould, and today I'm joined by Wayne Hunter, director of Morpheus Theater's forthcoming production of It's a Wonderful Life, a live radio play at the Pump House, starting December 8th through the 16th. A link to tickets for the show are in the notes. Wayne, you've done a lot of performing with Morpheus and Calgary Community Theatre over the years, and now a team lead for Heritage Park's interactive performers and a member at large with Morpheus Theatre. But is this your first time directing? No. I have been involved with community theatre for, let's just say, a day or two. A day or two. uh, Well, your first show that I was able to find was with Morpheus's Alibaba in 2010. Was that right, or does it go back further than that? For Calgary, but uh, I'm originally from Edmonton, and it goes back. okay. Let's just say a significant time. <laughs> so, it, like I say, I've been doing this a while, and uh, I've had the fortunate experience of working with some very good directors. And so, you you learn from every director you work with. And I've again, I've been fortunate in that respect. I'm also a trained teacher, and so I was able to use those skills because organizing, coordinating, controlling, planning—that's all part of the directorial process. I taught drama, so I was responsible for middle school productions, uh, Christmas concert, that kind of thing, as well as uh, a showcase for a, a clown troupe that I worked with, and uh, directing for the One Act Festival to Fringe in uh, in Edmonton. Oh wow! And this goes back to like pre twenty ten. Pre twenty ten, yeah. So over the years, I've like I said, I've been doing this a while, and. Uh, by doing some directing pieces throughout the years. It, I haven't had a chance to do it for a while, so I'm really thankful to Morpheus to give me the chance to get back in the director's chair and uh, and make some good things happen. Oh, that's awesome. So you've done three shows with Morpheus as a performer, or is it more than that now? I think three is the right, right Three number. is the right number? Okay, so it's Alibaba in 2010, and then you and I together in Death of a Salesman in 2015, and yeah. then you were in Moon Over Buffalo, which I was tangentially connected to as my wife was the backstage manager, in 2017. Yes. That's wonderful. And then you've also done three shows with FRC. You did My Fair Lady in 2013, 9 to 5 in 2014, and Jekyll and Hyde in 2016. That's correct, yeah. That is a lot of shows in that little seven-year span there where you went back and forth between one company and next. Is that just the companies you've done shows with, or did you do some others? No, I uh, in Calgary, I did one show in Cochrane with, I believe it was Vision Theater. I, mm-hmm. I think they've transformed into another company now. They are now, I think, Take a Bow. And actually, I did two shows for them out in, in Cochrane, and then I got linked into FRC through a show that I wanted to do, and... Which one was that? Was that My Fair Lady? That was My Fair Lady. Yeah. yeah. Who doesn't want to do that show? Well, it was interesting in that one. They asked me what part I wanted to to audition for. And uh, I thought of it as, well, you know, I think I'd like to do Alfie. Mm-hmm. And I was lucky. That was the part that they offered me. And it was a wonderful experience. I've just, I do it again at a drop of a hat. Although I must admit, working full time and doing a full show like that, uh, energy levels were low a little bit. <laughs> Sometimes. That is true, because you were also the product and curriculum development coordinator at SAIT for almost 14 years. Mm -hmm. So how does directing differ from product and curriculum development? Well, it's interesting. And this actually came up in a rehearsal a few weeks ago, where I was talking to the, the cast about where we are in the process. And project management has forming, storming, norming, and performing. 
And those are the steps you could watch them proceed through the, the development of the show. Right. Because there were times I felt like I was watching a mishmash of pieces, some good piece and going, yeah, I want that piece and no, that needs to be improved. And then I'd see it again and they'd be a little more solidified. And then people were a little more calm doing the same thing over again, like repeating to get to the quality we wanted. And now it's starting to come to that, you know, jello is set stage, the performing. And I'm, I'm looking forward to when the cast uh, gets in front of an audience because we've had a chance to have a few guest visitors and based on their comments, smiles and responses, I think we're on track to have a really good show. That's awesome. So when did you become involved in this production of It's a Wonderful Life, a live radio show? Was it something that you approached Morpheus about well, or was it something that Morpheus came to you about? One of the strengths of Morpheus is its outreach to people who are interested in community or interested in theater to grow as an audience member or participant. That's a real strength because Morpheus is a foundation company in, in Calgary, at least as I see it. So... I actually got involved with it about seven weeks ago, and that's because of the fact that I had contacted Sean Anderson about assistant directing. And I chose assistant directing at the time because I wanted to learn the processes and see how the system here worked. And it had been a while since I'd been in the director's chair. And as it turned out, uh, with Sean's support, I was offered the position to direct uh, uh, It's a Wonderful Life, a radio wow. program. So wait, we're, we're rolling back. It was only seven weeks ago yep. that you you took on this role as the assistant director director for this show. Approximately seven weeks, yeah. Wow. And so you reached out to them to say, hey, I'm interested in helping out and doing some stuff this season. And they said, oh boy, would you like to help out? Yeah, that, that's about right. Wow. So you probably had to hit the ground running. Was the production team already set up and ready to go at that point? Well, or? the strength of the, the system that, that they had in place was the fact the production team was almost complete. Oh, okay. They had uh, a set design. They had some pieces. So I, I wasn't walking into square one. What do we do? Right. And I was thankful in that case, this, this is where the Morpheus team really gave me a lot of support as we moved through the process. So I was able to walk in and focus on auditions first then rehearsals, and now we're phasing into getting, uh, loading in in the- All the finishing the, touches. Uh, yeah, exactly, exactly. That's amazing. Wow. Okay, so who is on the production team? Who was there when you first sat down at the first production meeting? I don't doubt it was Sean Anderson, the executive director and kind of the, you know, be all end all of Morpheus Theatre, but who else was there? We had uh, Sean, of course. We had Christy Johnson, Mike Johnson. Chris and Christy Johnson is the- Is in charge of costumes, does a wonderful job. Yep. Mike is my uh, stage manager. Again, I'm very happy to have him. He's got a lot of experience and- Well, he does bit, now. Bit he of, just did Yeoman of the Guard with me, with his, which was his first stage management show. So that was pretty great. And then we have the the lady who's directing the uh, the next show at Morpheus. Right. Nicola Payton. Exactly. She's doing props for us. So it, she's amazing juggling, directing a show and doing props for our show. Not to mention, she's also very big with the with the group at Dudney as well and is responsible for a lot of things going over there. So, I'm looking forward to talking to her all too soon about her coming show. Um so that's great. So you had like four or five people already well in place. Yes. Um, who else was there and in right there from the get-go? Oh, and of course we had uh, Margaret from the from uh, Morpheus Theater. Right. Works, and works in what front was house. Margaret there? She's just kind of a be-all help. Support, but it's much more than support. I don't want to belittle or, or disregard the, the, the effort that she and, and uh, even Jeanette gave to us 
in terms of getting some materials run off, getting, finding where some of the, uh, the props we wanted were and just helping out and having things organized. So when we were looking for specific little items, if they had them, they were able to say, oh yeah, it's in that closet. And was, here we've got you know, two of these items, pick which one you want and go for it. So without any great fanfare, they were an incredible support. So I, I definitely thank them very much. Oh, that's wonderful. Because and, and for those who might not know who you're referring to, Margaret Harper is the kind of She's she was formerly on the board with Morpheus. She's ha, she's a long time, long standing assistant and helpmate at the with the company, and she's basically the library, the um, the the entire Excel spreadsheet in her head of all of the props and costumes and pieces and set design and whatnot and set decoration that you might need for a given show. Because Morpheus has a lot of those things, Margaret knows where those things are, and then Jeanette Simino is the executive administrator and kind of the the admin side of Morpheus Theater. She's their professional assistant uh, and works there uh, as her full-time job. And so it's great to have those resources at hand for that. Was Colleen Bishop as well oh, right Colleen there for the first day? Colleen was the producer, day? yes. Uh, thank you for reminding me. Yeah. Yeah, and Colleen's been uh, great at uh, overseeing things. Her most recent task was to search out and find a pianist for us. And we, well, within the last week, we have now have a, pianist, a pianist, so we're... Okay, we have to roll back because that is a great and amazing story as well. Because you are a week, you're like you're loading in in three days, mm-hmm. and your your show goes up in one week's time for mm-hmm. preview night, and you just got a pianist for a piece of the show. So we'll roll back in that in a second. But, but Colleen Bishop is the executive producer for Morpheus's seasons of shows, so she's kind of the overarching producer to assist and enable shows when they have a need for something. You ask Colleen. And then she goes and tries to find it. So you guys said, we need a pianist. What's the pianist for? Well, within the show, there's, uh, we have two commercials. Right. That require some musical backing, at least to enhance them. We, yeah. You know, you can do them a variety of ways, but with musical enhancement, it, it really punches them up It's a, a better bit. commercial if there's we music. We have a need for some pre-show and a variety of little pieces throughout the show. And so we, Colleen first uh, did a look around to see who she could find and, Came close. It was a bit like going fishing. You get close. No, didn't get that one. And then uh, finally, uh, uh, Leo Tucker came came by, and uh, he's just joined us recently. Wow, that's it's, wonderful. It's well. The beauty of being able to do this, and the reason I'm not jumping up and down, pulling my hair out, or anything like that, is because of the fact it's it's the nature of the show. We're going into the pump house, yes, but we're going in, and we'll be focusing during a lot of our technical time on introducing these transitions where a transition might have a foley sound, a chorus, a crowd sound, and music. So uh, Leo was able to come in at the perfect time. And after a little bit, we've been together about two rehearsals now, and it's starting to fit nicely. Again, it all the challenge there was to say, what can we have a pianist do? Yeah. And in this case, I deliberately worked with Leo to, to find out what he could do, what he was comfortable with. And we are now integrating that into the show according to abilities and needs. So for example, some of the sound effects we'll be having during transitions will be taped and controlled by the booth, but some other sounds will be Leo. And a lot the music, a lot of it will be Leo on the piano. And, oh yeah. Uh, that, that really brings an added element to the show. So That's be- incredible. Because we had those, it's like filling in gaps in a puzzle. We had those pieces available. He was able to come in and help us out, which is great. Okay. And we just plugged them in. 
this is incredible because Leo Tucker is a friend, a dear friend of mine, friend of the show, friend of Morpheus, because he was in a panto with me back in Beauty and the Beast in 2017. So he has a, a tenured connection with with Morpheus as well, having been a, he's a terrific, tremendous performer as well. So that's wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> what a, what a small world community theater is at the end of the day and how yeah, exactly. many how many people have come through the doors and then come back that's a wonderful thing i can't i can't wait to see the show okay so you have live music you have some recorded sound and some recorded stuff mm-hmm. but then you also have live sound as well so when did the generation of that start to happen was that right from the get-go did you audition a foley artist or how did that come to pass colleen was able to source out a foley artist and he, uh, jerry mccauley and he, he's again he's done the show before He's got a great background in, in sound effects, and we have him right almost center stage working with the actors, and we've got him mic'd. And so when Jerry first came in and did the sound of cracking ice and some other sounds, it just lifted the show to another level. Yeah, it really what, did. What you're really talking about is we built the show in levels. Mm-hmm. So when the cast first came into the rehearsal hall, the first thing we did was take a look at voices and the nature of the voices. And I really wanted actors who could not do voices as in let's say imitate donald duck or anything but create voices that were applicable to a character and the cast has really come through on this they've done a great job so they came in and then we started with it's a wonderful life the radio play and that's Mm -hmm. where we focused who's speaking now what do you need do you need a hat to create the character how about this voice change here we work that That was the first layer. Then the second layer, this is a show within a show. Mm -hmm. And what I mean is the first actor you see coming in is Freddie Fillmore. And Freddie comes in and that is the character. Now he's the announcer. Freddie goes to the mic and as soon as he introduces It's a Wonderful Life, he becomes Freddie Fillmore playing Mr. Potter, Uncle Billy, and so on. And that's the same thing for all the other characters. So we have a show within a show. Yeah, there's lots of levels that are happening here, layers for the audience to to view and see the show through. Exactly. So when we once we've got the the mic on the It's a Wonderful Life story going, then we took a look at what's happening backstage. What's the story behind the situation backstage? And we, and we had some very interesting discussions and came up with some good things. So it's like a living backdrop. But we also had to be very careful that we didn't do things in large movements or loud which would detract or upstage from the the people at the mic. And right. so we're very aware of that. And it's, it's come together very nicely. So we have this, I'll say, a moving background, which is the show within a show. Oh, that's great. So when did the performers begin the rehearsal process? How long have they been rehearsing for? Oh, we had six weeks. Six weeks. Wow. And so... It- that's is that a little, that's a little shorter than a normal turnaround on a play like you would if you were doing It's a Wonderful Life. Why is the turnaround on the the This show is deceptively simple, it's also deceptively complex because Absolutely. You, the stu- uh, the the uh, actors do not have to memorize, but they have to know the script. Right. And in fact, when an actor's memorize the lines, and I encourage them to do as much memorization as possible, they often will drop the script and just be as if you would in a regular show. And I have to remind them, on a radio play, at least glance at the script. I don't right. care if you're reading it, at least glance at it. <laughs> Otherwise, you'll start to look like you're speaking extemporaneously. Exactly. You, need and to, then, you need to show everyone that you're reading something. Exactly. And we're on page 12, not page 10, and right. you know, this kind of thing. So, But, I mean, that's a nice problem to have. And, Absolutely. And so 
the actors didn't have to memorize all the lines and we could really focus on the the pieces of the show and the nature of it is we focus on the pieces of the show because the audience is an audience in studio a in wbfr in new york city right so there'll be signs applaud clap and you are part of the part of the activity you're greeted as the audience as, as a spectator as, as the audience as a spectator that's awesome and then what happens is the set is very simple and it's as it should be it, exactly because radio stations are pretty sparse places yep and so that was made things a lot easier. We didn't have to worry about, you know, complex set designs and this kind of thing. So in that respect, it was lean and clean. So yeah. we could get right to the importance of it, which was creating characters that would be interesting to the audience, listening, and create a backstory what, so they could get an idea of, oh, where did this character go and what's going on? So with, it's still visually stimulating as well. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. you could see if it was a it was just a, a live radio show that it could get quite uh, tiresome potentially with just just the voices. But there's a lot more movement and activity. We have happening. movement. We ha use uh, costume props and things to distinguish characters. We have people moving between mics. We have it's sort of a hybrid, I'll say, because in a in a 1940s radio play. You would have people standing at the mics and the audience would be be watching because they're listening and they're accustomed to that. Well, in 2023, we're not accustomed to that anymore. No one is accustomed so to that. So we have that that sort of bridge mm -hmm. where we have people wearing multiple, literally wearing multiple hats at, to go with various voices to help the audience say, oh, that's Uncle Billy or that's whoever talking at this right. time. Right. This is Morpheus's second kick at the cat at doing a live radio show uh, back in 2020 at the kick of the pandemic. In 2021, this, the Christmas show that was supposed to come out was A Christmas Carol, a live radio show. That ended up having to actually be a live radio show at the end of the day with filming and recording from chest up only. So all of the performers were just in jeans and shorts because it was a pretty warm weekend at this recording studio just by Strathmore out in an, in an acreage. Gorgeous, wonderful experience experience for the performers there, but there was a, a real well lack of costuming that happened as a result of that because no one was physically on stage and it was COVID time. So it wasn't like we could get together and do fittings and whatnot. How are you costuming this show? How is that looking? That's actually going very well. And it's, again, part of the beauty of it. The show is not nearly as complex as, say, Yeoman of the Guard. I or as, say... <laughs> or My Fair Lady? Or e Yeah, My Fair Lady, Yeoman of the Guard, or even, literally, It's a Wonderful Life Itself. <laughs> the costumes are 1940s based. Yeah. Uh, I talked with, with Christy, and the actors had a, bit, a chance to talk a little bit about you know, fits and looks and this kind of thing, which was very generous of her. And then we were able to uh, pan it out, but the idea is preparing people as if they were walking down the street in 1942 or 46 or whatever. Right. And so men are basically suits. We have a tuxedo. Uh, ladies are in 40s appropriate dress and hats. In that case, as, as Christy summed it up, in one case, she only had to make one costume this for this show instead of in the past, you know. All of them. All of them. Yes, exactly. So again, it, it was part of that lean and clean element of the show where we didn't have to worry about starting right from scratch and building it all in six weeks. We had an advantage. The costumes were um, pretty straightforward and we, my intention was to keep them that way. And so when did Jerry McCauley join the rehearsal process? Did, was he right there from the beginning? Uh, no. Well, Jerry was listed with us from the very beginning, but I wanted, I worked with the actors to run and work th through the show once 
so we had something to share with and work with with Jerry. Otherwise, you know, they're saying lines that they've never said before, and there's no real purpose. Right. So we deliberately scheduled it so Jerry would come in on our weekend rehearsals, and we would devote time to either running, say, half the show and reworking that. That's what we did originally, and then first half, second half. And now we're at the stage of running the show multiple times over the weekend with, with Jerry and the sound effects to get them used to the sound effects, to get the timing right, and even to work in the cast working with some of the sound effects. Oh, wow. Uh, I saw a video on, I think, TikTok or YouTube. One of your performers, uh, a newcomer to Morpheus, was posting some of the uh, the first times Jerry had joined in and was banging some pots and pans or some buckets together, and everybody was laughing and having a good time. So it definitely seems like the whole entire process is has been a really fun experience. Well, when I took on this the role of director, there were two goals that I had in mind. One is to do an entertaining show that would entertain the audience, help Morpheus to expand their audience and, and have people walk away feeling good and maybe even a few years down the road saying, hey, I really like that show. That's one that I really liked. So that was one of my goals. And the second goal was to have a show where the actors, when they're finished with it, as they go on in their, their careers, if you will, they are able to say, that's one show I really enjoyed. I'm glad I did it. So, yeah. they, so to create a sense of team, a sense of group. That was that was an important element. And the approach I took to directing was very much cooperative, collegial, here we go, with the understanding that, you know, if I say, no, we're not doing that, no. And I'll give you a perfect example. We tried an experiment even in our last rehearsal with some props for the set. And uh, after we ran halfway, I said, no, that isn't working. Without any blip on the radar, conflict and okay took away done and the show kept going yeah so it's it's i think we've got a great team and i i think and i hope i had a little bit in to do with establishing that oh that's great i mean the director is really like the dad the leader the teacher the person who stands in front of the blackboard of the show uh you have a position of authority and you also are the one with the vision to uh to impart and get your performers all to gel together towards it but what's been hard about that process for you as a director i as i say i deliberately took what you might say is a more laid-back approach. It doesn't mean I wasn't paying attention and, and uh, you know, taking notes and making notes and, and molding the show. I was. But I del as I say, I deliberately wanted to, to take that approach to build the team, especially for this show. In other shows, I might be a sergeant major, depending on what the needs are. But the challenge that came up is, I'll say you're reaching the point where people say, oh, you know, buddy, buddy. Like, oh, I can, I've had input here, so now I can give you input on the jacket you wear. Right. No. And I have had to point that out only on a few occasions. So, I mean, every show, with because you're dealing with people, timelines, and stress, have the bumps in the road. But it's, it's only been a few times where I had to say, hold the phone, guys, look. I'm the director, <laughs> and we are not you know, painting the walls orange or, or whatever we want to do. Right. Yeah. I need you to cross this way. I can't have you over there. You, yeah, there that business in the background is too much. There's, yeah. Yeah, exactly. There's a reason I asked you to do it this way. It's worked. It's flowing. Now, please do it that Lock way. Lock it yeah. in. Move on to the next thing. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Okay. That I mean, that definitely happens. That is definitely a, a, a piece of the the difficult pie. Other sh and it sounds like that's a pretty normal thing to, to run into, but it also sounds like this has been a pretty smooth flowing process for you because you load in on Sunday and you begin your tech week. What are you nervous about when it comes to tech week? I'm confident and comfortable that we have, and, and having experienced it from an actor's side, 
The process Morpheus uses for the loading is well-organized and uses time effectively. Mm -hmm. It can never, however, take away the fact that tech weeks are long, dull, dry, boring, hurry-up-and-wait times. And so what I've got to do in our upcoming rehearsal is to work with the actors and remind them, look, this is what it's about, and we'll be getting to working the this, this sound and the transitions. That'll be our main focus. So yes, you'll be involved, but be ready to sit and you know listen or you know bring in your podcast or bring in your... Your, uh, your coloring book. Co yep. Whatever it takes and snacks so that you can sort of take care of yourself and then be ready when we call you because that's when we're going to need you to... To shine because the whole essence of it and this is the thing that is hard for people to always keep in mind when you're enduring the hours and they're they're long hours is the fact that when you've got the tech right the tech are there to do their best to make you look the best to allow you to do your best and to have the audience have the best possible experience they can absolutely yeah the tech week is meant for the technical side and the technical people to be able to come together and put their their touch and their polish on the show and they haven't had that time leading up to it but uh you you said that it's a lot of waiting and a lot of a uh, lot of downtime and whatnot and uh, except for the director because when i found when i was doing yeoman of the guard i i was not sitting around waiting for anything i was constantly no. being pulled in seven different directions there are <laughs> uh, going back to things i'm concerned about when we start working the transitions I'm looking forward to it because we've got the pieces. It's just a matter of getting the right mix. Right. That's the thing that will take time. Yeah. Those levels going and up it, and down. Exactly. And people and so, coming on in a timely enough way because right now they've been kind of pretending to come on and now they're actually going to be stepping through a, a specific well, a, spot. And, perfect example of what you're talking about. Yeah. We have uh, one of the actors entering from the back of the house while in the... In any rehearsal space, it's a lot smaller than than the uh, six and a half feet us. at most, the most that it could possibly be. <laughs> so, just the whole timing and working of that, and and the uh, my intent is to keep the actors as active as possible because we do have to work the transitions and they're involved with them. How that all is going to work out, time will tell. And uh, hold on to your hats because it's it's going to be a ride. Absolutely. So once it's up. Preview night's done. You know where all the laughs are going to be. You're excited. It's, it's opening night. What are you most excited for audiences to get to see when they sit down to watch It's a Wonderful Life, the live radio show? I think what we're able to do because of the way the script's written and the way we're doing it is to really see that journey of George because the I think we've done some good things in the beginning with young George, young Mary, and there's a nice transition into where Clarence comes in and says, guess what? I'm here. You know, you may not be alive or not. Uh, and then finally at the end with a celebration. The other thing we have going that I think will be very strong is some of the crowd support for things like the bar scene at Martini's, the the run on the bank and so on. So I think the the audience will really be be interested to see all those transitions because it's it's like building an old paper chain people used to make for, for Christmas mm -hmm. trees. Mm -hmm. So one element, for example, an argument between Gower and George transitions into the next step. And there's these nice sort of gems that link together. And that journey, because it's not a smooth straight line as if we were having a you know two or three monologues, blah, blah, blah. No, it's moment, moment, moment. And then the buildup to the to the end where it's it's well as we all have seen the movie or heard the story it's you know the hallelujah moments at the end 
that's what I'm looking forward to because I really hope the the audience sits back and and enjoys it because it's easy to come to a show like It's a Wonderful Life and say, yeah, I've seen it a hundred times. I know the story. And we go, well, every time it's done, it's done slightly differently because it's the, through the eyes of the actors and the eyes of the director. And based on some feedback that I've received from some visitors recently, I do believe we've got a very solid show. And I believe once our, our actors step in front of the, the audience and it starts to make those connections, I think the magic will happen. I really do. How often do you find yourself kind of just closing your eyes and just listening to the show? Because, because I mean, it's a radio show and there's a lot of times where you can just be surrounded. You close your eyes, you feel transported and teleported into that space. Does that happen to you every now and again? Oh, consi- uh, constantly. Now, I would say 50% of the time. <laughs> yeah. Because it all starts with, have you got the voice? And are, right. you, are you projecting? Can I hear you? I, we worked on projection, articulation. We had a voice coach come in and uh, give us some, some pointers and using mics and so on, which really helped. Oh, absolutely. But we worked on that and there was lots of time, even during the auditions, I would close my eyes and listen. Because in the first audition, it was a matter of who shows up, how do they sound, and do they have the ability or potential to be able to do different types of voices? Mm-hmm. Different things with their voice exactly. to inhibit and, and exhibit another character. And then yeah. once we got through that, we got to to the phase of callbacks and the people I brought back showed the potential to be able to do that. So I used improvisation skits. I used some scripted sections to see, okay, can you really go from you know 60 to 12 or whatever the, the need may be? And it helped me pick the cast that I've got. And again, I've got to give them a lot of credit. They've, they've come through with flying colors, some, some beautiful voices, some strong characterizations. Is it perfect? No, because everybody has their own image of what right. perfection is. But I think they've done a great job. Even though they're not perfect, they'll still create a perfect show and a great memory and a wonderful experience, not That's just, just for exactly. themselves, but for everybody coming to see it. Exactly. Speaking of the audition process, that was a different sort of audition process that I have seen for community theater and for Morpheus to do in the past. You had people coming out and it seemed like a lot of people because there were three different shows you were all doing auditions for at one time. So can you tell me a little bit about that experience and what that structure looked like from your end? With any audition, you never know who's going to walk through the door. Right. So that's part of the challenge of any audition process. But there were three directors at at the table uh, if you were auditioning, you'd walk in and do your prepared piece, and we ask you to change it and modify it. Can you do it like uh, you're buying candy at a grocery store? Can you do it like you're on a battlefield? Whatever the, mm-hmm. the changes mean, just to get an idea of sounds and characters that each of us was looking for. So we, we shared that, and so each of us had a chance to say, well, try read it this way or do that. Uh, it benefited a lot because as the other other directors would ask questions, especially in the first auditions, I basically sat back and listened because I was looking for the voices. Right, exactly. From there again, we took it to a stage where instead of just picking the single cast, you picked multiple players for each part to say, who could do this part? Who could yeah. do that? And thankfully, it worked out very well because we we did have some overlap. But with some simple discussion, and I've, I've got to give Sean a lot of credit on this one, with the guidance of saying, let's do who's your first, second, third pick for character A, B, C, we were able to work through it very, very quickly, very painlessly. And so that was because there was a lot of people that were coming out for the general audition period. They were happy to be in any of the three Many shows? Many of them were. Some people were very specific to say, I want 
peacock season or right. I want Sylvia or I want even I want it's a wonderful life. Some people had done one wonderful life before, so I'd heard this comment where I don't want to do it again. Hey, I appreciate that. Yeah. I mean, and then there was one person who said, Hey, I want to do it again. <laughs> yes. Very pleasant surprise, doing a great job. And I, he's come a long way since you and I worked with him in uh yeah. In Death of a Salesman. In Death of a Salesman, Cesar. working with Cesar. Yeah. Absolutely great. Cesar played the server in the restaurant mm-hmm. in Death of a Salesman. A very small, small role. Basically, one scene comes in, gets an order, and then leaves. And since that time, I believe that was his very first show. Uh, since that time, Cesar has gone to do a whole bunch of classwork, video film work, and other stage performances. And so it is wonderful to see him because he has also played this character, uh, Clarence, in It's a Wonderful Life several years ago. Mm-hmm which feels like a decade ago because of the pandemic. So I always say several years. And now he's back playing Clarence again. And as I say, he it's a joy to listen to him. He's He's got some real strong characters. And I'll say there's a surprise or two in the show. Oh, wonderful. Because we do have these commercials. And I, I'm really hoping the audience is... Uh, Enjoy, enjoy the experience because it's intended to have some fun. That's great because I was just about to ask, what are some things that the audience should be looking for that you are really excited to see? And is it are these commercials some of that that you really want the audience to pay attention to? I see magic in the scenes between uh, George and, and Potter when they're either when they're battling when they're young. It's wonderful moments there. There's some wonderful moments between George and Mary, whether it's uh, George's first visit to the the Hatch household, or at, at the end. But there's some beautiful chemistry going there. And then some great connections between Violet and George in the various times they have. In fact, they've, they're, I'd say, finding things in that in those few scenes that people would bypass usually. Oh, wow. They've done some, again, it's that depth of work that the cast has done in terms of backstory and where the characters are coming from and so on. Yeah. So there's wonderful moments like that. So pay close attention to what's going on between George and Potter and what's going on between young George and young Mary and 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 look for and, those moments because and Violet those those are things that come to mind and and then if you want to watch a true juggling act watch uh, Freddie as in a, one section of the show he's doing basically all three characters at once as as should be the case where that sort of hilarity occurs because they have to play three different people at one time. In this case, it's usually a serious part, but he's uh, he's flying and, and does a, does a, again a great job of it. Oh, that's wonderful! And so we want audiences to come see this. It's a great Christmas story. It's a great tale for the times. But there are two types of people that are going to come see this show. There are going to be people that have never seen "It's a Wonderful Life" before, and there are people that have seen every iterance of It's a Wonderful Life. Can you speak to what those people will take away from having seen this show, both the people that have never seen It's a Wonderful Life before and those who will have been familiar with all the different iterations of it? It really comes back to hopes again, I guess, is a way to put it. And I I talked to the cast about this early on in the process. There are two basic principles that apply in It's a Wonderful Life. Number one is that if you have family and friends... We, we often wall ourselves away from family and friends and, and disconnect ourselves. But if you have family and friends or you need to reach out to family and friends, they can help you through a lot of tough times. And let's face it, the way things are, there's a lot of tough times that people are facing. Yeah. And so it's a matter of recognizing and appreciating that. The second one is the fact that 
with hope, you can get through a lot. And what I mean by that is the fact that everyone exists. Our very existence changes the path of life. Because if you think of what would happen if I wasn't directing the show, would it be on? If we weren't talking here today, would there be a podcast? If the mother hadn't helped the child who skinned their knee or hurt their knee, what would have happened? Our very existence shows we as people have value. And those are the things we can celebrate over Christmas. It's great to have the wrapping presents and the Christmas. That's absolutely wonderful. But when it comes down to it, the value is to stop and realize, as a person, I have value. And as family and friends, that's where you know, love, support, value, strength all come from. And the show doesn't get, I'll say, sappy or overboard on that. But that's the driving factor behind it. And you, I think you see that at the end when George comes back to the house and he's just thrilled to be there. Mm-hmm. I can't reflect enough that taking your friends and family to see this show opening next week on December the 8th at the Pump House Theatre is something you need to do. Whether you've seen It's a Wonderful Life before or not, you're still going to get that warm and fuzzy feeling in both the bowels of your stomach and the cockles of your heart because this show is one that matters. And Morpheus does this show pretty regularly over the years. I think this is the fourth time that they've put it up. But in this new visual way of seeing it and hearing it, it should offer an entirely different and new experience for you, the theater goer, to go see. And what better thing to do than to pull in the friends and family that you have potentially distanced yourself from or walled yourself off from, especially in these post-COVID times and current COVID times, having just started to finally recover from COVID myself. I cannot stress enough how important it is that you come and see this show and bring those you love with you. Thanks for your time today, Wayne. Thank you.